Happy Saturday, everyone. And um, thank you for coming out today on this very hot weekend to hear some poems. Um, this collection, Summer Forgets to Wear a Petticoat, is my second collection. And it's different than my first one in that the first one was more autobiographical, and it dealt with my experiences being a Pakistani-American growing up um, in Los Angeles between two cultures. And this one is more experimental. It's got poems inspired by the mystery genre. It's got poems um, that are more surreal in tone. And so this was sort of a different vibe for me putting this collection together. Um, and I just wanted to you know, jump around, maybe read nine or ten pieces, and then um, if anyone has any questions or comments at the end. Uh, let's see. I'm going to start with a poem which is about language and communication. It's called Remnants. Astronomy depends on random conversations in supermarkets. Ask any stargazer. There's a need for plain communication. Every syllable uttered in the routine vernacular carries wind chimes of galaxy. Still the memories leap as I step in line at checkout 12. Across from me, the magazines speak in glossy whispers, stars airbrushed and suntanned. Once the pages ignited childhood dreams, but now I don't ask the bright images to bring me constellations. When the cashier says credit or debit, his words are a consolation. So much we drift in staggers beyond our senses. The night sky, a silhouette of empty parks. It's a blessing to be asked a manageable question, to speak the answer without a planet weighing down the tongue. The stars watching from above catch remnants of their sparks in our daily exchanges. As scientists, focusing their telescopes, stand on the shoulders of functional speech to forge pathways to the unexplained. Okay. Um, I said that there's some poems in here inspired by the mystery genre, and I love detective fiction, I love crime fiction, so there are a couple of poems in here inspired by Agatha Christie, and I guess Agatha Christie during her life disappeared for three weeks, and it was kind of a mystery, no one knew where she went, um, and she claimed later that she had amnesia and couldn't remember what happened during those three weeks, so... I wondered what if she time-traveled to the 21st century, read a dating guide, and went on a Match.com date. So um, this poem is about that, and it's called Agatha Christie Gets Butterflies. She arrived before he did, picked up the peanuts. The dating guide had said, no phones. She slipped her cell into a mini clutch. The painting on the wall swayed a red herring. The gastropub was all whispers. She told the waitress, Ginger Beer, show him your fun, the book had said. Why hadn't she chosen the blue dress? In white, she shook like a lampshade. He arrived before Tuesday. His t-shirt read, only in Saudi Arabia, but he'd never left Los Angeles. Travel interested him less than detective novels. According to the website, they were a 96% match. She took a swig of her beer, remembering the book. The gist had been lie. Later, his hand slipped over hers, so she spilled her drink. He went to the restroom, brought back napkins. Make him your hero, the book had said. For dinner, they ate slices of Hawaiian pizza. She took small bites as if to say, I used to be a dancer. 
His story about a missing writer puzzled her. She laughed to make him feel like he'd traveled, then a tickle in her throat. Was she allergic to peanuts? He handed her a glass of water. Shivering, she blinked like a suspect. The plot was hazy now, but suddenly butterflies. Um, so poets tend to write poems about poetry and this is my poem on poetry writing and what is poetry it's called Gloves I live in the United States of poetry in the quest to be united with the white graffiti past my terrorist thoughts on caffeinated Mondays I state my opinion without poetry at work formulate intuitions prepositions Once in a meditation class, over and under, above and beyond, I went. I saw my heart was in a state of neglect, felt united with a photograph I once saw of a supernova in a textbook. This sensation expanded into poetry. See, every word we've ever heard lives tucked in the spine, every assault and tenderness, every trick of the tongue. United, they live quashed in a state of fury, and this fury is poetry, because the silence drifts under and behind, below and around each thought, because the heart is a supernova in the galaxy of each body, because driving the freeway during rush hour traffic, I am dubious about gloves how in winter wearing them serves practical purposes, but they're itchy and dark. The gloves tick like a bomb on my hands, and soon I have to take them off to feel the frost, the fog on my fingertips. The heart, too, needs to breathe, and the body's a glove, and the two live in a state nearsighted, and the distance between them is poetry, the quest to be united. At night, I lie in bed, think, girl, you're an aging star. Still, I get my eyebrows waxed and honk at drivers who cut me off. Busy lunches, my fork stabs lettuce and cucumber slices, tomatoes, celery stalks. (laughs) So, um, I'm a fan of classic novels. um, And I'm a high school teacher, so I teach classic novels. And I wanted to write this poem that was kind of a story. It's a narrative set at LAX airport of a couple breaking up. And then I threw in the titles of a bunch of classic novels. I wanted to kind of work them in. It's sort of like an exercise for myself. So this is called Classic. We kissed in Frankenstein. I wore the gold necklace with the elephant pendant. We kissed and Madame Bovary. The elephant jingle jangled against my neck. It was 2 a.m. and LAX had never looked so historical. You held my hand and I held a tale of two cities. You said, that elephant's a sun against your dark skin. I grinned to Wuthering Heights. You wanted to know if the pendant was a gift. I knew what you were really asking. My ex was an entomologist. Had he been the one, it would have been a cockroach or a beetle. Not this matriarchal mammal. Not this gold miniature of hefty thighs. We embraced in pride and prejudice. My fears in Dracula. You said, it's a sin to call collect. I said, it's a sin to shoot an elephant. Our future was born in 1984. Our world a cannery row of fishermen. It was 204 and LAX had never looked so intellectual. You asked me if you could keep the necklace while I was away, the little gold trunk and tusks and teeth. But I would be the one boarding and departing, hovering over the good earth. I needed a totem. You said, our love is the totem. I opened my shoulder bag and handed you a slice of bread. Your eyes misted over. 
and you poke the tip of your chin with an index finger, drop the slice back inside my bag. I said, I'll chop off my hand, but I'm holding on to the pendant. It was 2.07 and LAX had never looked so metaphorical. I really need to get in line, I said, but you surprised me by reaching for my neck. A tug, a pull, an unhesitating yank, then the necklace in your grip. My mouth flew open. This elephant's a classic, you said, and I'm man enough to wear it. I stood still, stunned, handed you my carry-on bag. You fly then, I said. You board the goddamn plane. You speak at that conference in Chicago. You write the next great American dissertation. I'm going to the zoo. I hailed a taxi and didn't look back. That morning, gazing at a zebra, I decided losing the elephant pendant had been my karma. I'd probably been a hunter in some previous life. You'd probably flown to India to meet your match. The truth was, I'd bought the elephant to remind myself I was just an animal with veins. LAX was eminently nonsensical. Life seesawed between war and peace. All right, so continuing on the theme of classics, I have a poem, a short poem here on Jane Eyre, which is one of my favorite classic novels, and I've read it a bunch of times, probably the book I've read the most, but it's also boring, you know? So uh, this is about that. Okay, it's called Ironing a Dress. (laughs) Big, tired book, Jane Eyre, heavy in my hands. 22 lines to describe a desk lamp? Must we really hear each minute detail? And why so many big words, fancy words, sentences that take the scenic route to their period? Endless details on sewing and school lunches and tutoring sessions in French. And Mr. Rochester, that curmudgeon, must he really occupy so many paragraphs, the pace alternating between slow and emphatically slow? I turn your pages, Jane Eyre, and seasons change in my city, and still the protagonist is ironing a dress. But my grandmother kept you on her bedside table. My mother handed me your story when I was 13, said, here, read this, every woman should. So to keep warm, I travel your pages again and again, sometimes the disciplined teachers, others the mad woman in the attic. (laughs) So this collection has this weird title, Summer Forgets to Wear a Petticoat. Um, and I wanted to read the poem that ha- shares the title, which is, again, inspired by the mystery genre. Um, and I titled it that because I thought, it sounds like a summer beach read, which is actually something a friend pointed out to me. And also because it had the surreal tone of the book. Summer forgets to wear a petticoat. I bought the straw hat with black ribbon, thinking about Sherlock Holmes. Sometimes I wear it on walks around the neighborhood. The buildings and vacant schools don't resemble Baker Street. In my 20s, I drank a lot of tea. PG tips, a dash of milk, a spoonful of sugar. Why do habits form then suddenly vanish? Sometimes marriages, whole cities disappear. Last week, a flash of lightning struck Venice Beach. Even summer forgets to wear a petticoat when clouds appear. It's easier to swim and surf without a shield. I never took a statistics course, but on evening walks, I probed the data of my life. In the absence of green, clues and hints remain unseen, flare on impulse. Hmm. Okay, so I'm sort of obsessed with chocolate. And, um, yeah, you understand. You feel me, right? You understand. So uh, 
I, there was a period where I read a bunch of books about chocolate, and then I wrote this like wordplay poem, which is different for me. Um, it's really just wordplay about chocolate, and I w- wanted to regurgitate things I'd learned while reading about the history of chocolate. So um, it's called bitter water, and I guess that's what the root means for the word chocolate, means bitter water. Chocolacalit, noir kiss, dark rum, coarse peppermint, milk slick, corporate trimmed, wine savored wicked excellence, choco drink, liquid bliss, shot glass pure silk, orange flavored, orange tinged, packy skin breath brown gin, ritually I sip and sip, blood lips choco stained, interrogate me, intoxicate, my passport a Chaco page, this country a Chaco stage, Chaco people cohabitate, dipping, dipping, anticipate, Belgian, milky Swiss, I taste the Aztec, chocolatele, bitter water, bitter war, bitter headlines, bitter dark, bitter coffee I drink to start, bitter coffee to start my day. The night is white with Chaco stars, Chaco moon and Chaco light, a Chaco mosque, a news headline, Chaco lanes and Chaco towns, Chaco thieves, Chaco found. I sip and sip, my hands bleed brown, in Montezuma's grip the pasta crown, a seed of spark, a crystal sound, Chaco noble, masculine, the Spanish drink, their Chaco dark. Men bought prostitutes with cocoa pods. They drank till drunk, corrupt, unfeminine, and sold their slaves for Chaco Sen. (laughs) Okay, just um, two or three more pieces. Um, This next poem is about religion. It's called Rehab Center for God Addiction. And that was going to be the original title of this collection. And then I thought, that's too polemical, and I'm not even atheist, and I don't know what, you know. So this poem imagines, what if militant atheism took over the world? Um, And you had to go to rehab if you were religious. Okay. The sufferers came day after day lugging their drug-free suitcases, fanning themselves with new science books. No gods exist, the sign read, and there came random searches for Bibles and prayer mats, crosses and sacred beads. Any sign of worship and they kicked you out. Reading scripture's a waste, they said, an addiction like meth. Snort these lines quick and you'll end up a murderer. Each patient was branded atheist, and therapists led group talks where people cried over years of blind dependence, obsession with priests. Everything's random, the doctor said. Our bodies made from stardust. Isn't this miracle enough? Abortion clinics get defamed by the addicted. Fundamentalism circles the globe. But the days stretched long at rehab, and people struggled with the dizzying sense of freedom. Mealtimes triggered some to press palms together, and for this they locked you in a room to watch documentaries about the Taliban, the Crusades. Our bodies are water and dust, the doctor said. God worships a disease. There's no proof of a creator's hand. Everyone must agree. Still, it was acceptable to sit by the koi pond at dusk and stare up at the moon, even read your horoscope. Fine to write a song that praised the mystery of the galaxy and sprang from nothingness. Two more. Um, So I started writing poetry when I was 13, and I was thinking I never really read any poetry before then. So why did I start writing in line breaks? Um, And then I was thinking about when I was a kid growing up, my family moved to Saudi Arabia for three years, and I would listen to Quranic verses at the mosque, and it was a kind of poetry. So this is about that and those years in Saudi. 
under the stars in Saudi Arabia. Jeddah, Makkah, Taif. In every city, the desert smelled of violets. Weekends, we ate French fries on the beach, watched veiled women charge into the Red Sea. My sister and I built sandcastles with golden domes, called each other booger and butthead over plastic toy telephones. Our parents always drove to the coast at night when the stars blinked Arabic, the dunes shadowed and desolate. I often gazed up at the sky, stories of flying carpets and silver wands behind my eyes. I was seven, knew no poems, no poets then, except the spoken verses of the Quran, which were sung at the Kaaba in voices rich as henna, claimed with tongues that kissed each word. Something in me stirred amid those high mosque walls. I'd listen to the call for prayer with my head tilted up, as though the sounds funneled out some cloud, ethereal loud. I listened with eyes closed, my head draped in a purple scarf, thinking neither about hair nor covering yet, but the arresting tide of words rising, falling, calling in a language I didn't understand, but felt like a hand brushing the ear. Just hearing the holy surahs made me feel wiser, older. Those weekends we drifted between towns, I never worried about disloyalty. The three years we lived in Saudi, I never inked a line of simile. Yet on Saturday nights, I mouthed Arabic recitations with my lips, carried Mecca in the grip of my memory. Under the stars, I rode in the sand with my feet, ate kebabs salted with splashes of the Red Sea. And before I read my last piece, I just want to thank Skylight Books for hosting this event. Um, I had to reschedule it a couple of times because there was a delay with the publication, and I appreciate them accommodating me. And I also want to thank my mom for bringing all these appetizers and Erica for bringing cookies. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, the weatherman's text. This poem is a surreal wordplay poem, too. And um, it goes to kind of a darker place when... I visited England last. I took the ferry across the North Sea from Dover to Rotterdam in Holland. And I thought I was going to have a panic attack that night because it was a very like rocky ride. It was dark. It was humid. And so this poem came out of that. The Weatherman's Text. My solution to seasickness? Become a champagne pink cloud. Once at a dinner party in Austin... I sat beside a woman whose mouth became the sea. I hadn't discovered cloud me yet, so I went home with a fire in my head. For too many years, I walked without leg warmers, treated the Milky Way as a scientific fact. But now at dinner parties, I speak galaxy during small talk. Observations about the weather seem too narcissistic. Freud believed sex was always the subtext, Too much talk about the universe would have made him guess penis envy. Once I almost died on the North Sea. The ferry rocked through the night as if writing a suicide note. I couldn't fall asleep until the weatherman texted me, become a champagne pink cloud. Thank you. Thank you. Does anyone have anything to say or any questions? Before I sit down, it's a nice cozy group, but I don't know. Yeah. So um, I noticed you're a Pen Emerging Voices fellow. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that's meant to your poetry? 
Um, so I did that in 2009. I applied for it. I was really nervous applying, and I was like trying to decide which genre I wanted to apply in, poetry or fiction. And so I kind of had to make a commitment at the time, and I applied to poetry. So I think the impact it had on me was that it made me serious about poetry. Um, and it was a great experience. It's like an eight, nine-month fellowship in L.A. You get to meet other writers. Um, you get mentorship on your work. So it just gave me more professionalism, I guess, when thinking about writing. Like, you know, I made a website. I started a blog after. So it was a very good experience. Yeah. You said you're a high school teacher, so uh, what impact does your writing have on your teaching? My writing? Well, I tend to teach poetry wherever I can. Like, I always am trying to sneak in a poem. Or any kind of metaphor I use in class will somehow relate back to poetry. So, I mean, I think those students who write poetry in my classes will somehow it will get the sense that I'm into poetry and I really connect with them and mentor them, and that, for me, is really inspiring. Um, but... You know, it's nice. It's a nice companion to the poetic life teaching because you do get the summers off and you get breaks where you can focus on your writing. And then you get to go to class and you get to talk about writing. So, yeah. Huh. I'm interested in your creative process. I think uh, you mean, you, I mean, I can express this. You seem so prolific in terms of the subjects. And so um, I would like to know, how does it work for you? Like, for example, <clears throat> are you walking around and you can inspire and you write it down somewhere? Or are you disciplined and you decide that, okay, in the morning I'm going to start? How does it happen? The actual writing of a poem? Uh, when I was younger, I felt like I, was, I would have moments of inspiration like more frequently. I don't know if it's something about just being younger and in that carefree state of mind. So I have memories of just driving down Ventura and pulling over to write a poem, like feeling like an emotional urge to write something, wanting that cathartic release. And that happened in college too. And over time, that's kind of gone away. Um, there are times where I'm walking around and I'm reading poetry and I'm thinking about poetry and I've written a couple of pieces. And it's like, I feel like, I'm actively looking for subjects as I'm walking. I feel inspired. Like I'm walking around and it's like a, you're wearing your poetry goggles and you're looking at experiences as fodder for poetry, which is a fun space to be in. But that takes time to cultivate. It doesn't last more than a couple of weeks. So, I mean, usually now I'm, I'm so erratic and inconsistent. I just have periods for two or three months where I'm writing a lot, I'm reading a lot of poetry, and then just kind of get bored with poetry, and I'm eating Doritos and watching movies, you know, and um, then boom, like the urge will come back. And I kind of like that in a way, like the fluctuation. So as far as how the subjects go, I mean... It's more that I just really enjoy language and playing with language. So when I sit down um, to write, I'll just, you know, I keep a list in the front of my notebook of topics. I might choose one of those topics and just start writing. And it uh, sort of feels awkward initially if I'm, like, warming up to writing a piece. And then after some time, like, writing it, I'll suddenly find the subject. So it's, like, in the act of writing now. After, it's like I'm slow to start, but once I get going, I'll figure out what I want to write about. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes. So to piggyback on that question, how do you know when a poem is done? Oh, I don't know if the ones in here are done. You know? <laughs> I think that's a great I totally see what you're saying. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I write the piece, I'll 
revise it a few times, and then I'll feel like it's done. Like, oh, look, there's some pretty lines there. Feels done. Then I take it to a workshop, and they tear it apart. And I'm like, oh, it's not done. <laughs> and then I go back, and then I rework it, and then maybe take it to another workshop. And, and then at some point, like, I'll put it aside and come back to it like a month later or a few weeks later and that'll really tell me if I want if I feel the energy and drive to keep working on it or not so I think it's like I think it's never really done it's just like you move on to the new subject and you lose maybe your passion or enthusiasm for really reworking that piece right but it definitely goes through several drafts I have. I've really like struggled with it. I really want to. I've gone through different phases with it where I think, oh, I just want to focus on writing poetry. Like to write in other genres is going to take me away from that because I, I get tired easily, right? So it's, it's a lot of work and it's an emotional commitment along with just like the time commitment. But I'd really like to. So right now I'm kind of working on the possibility of writing a verse novel. You're moving in that direction, like taking and doing that in the crime genre. So I definitely want to. The thought keeps bugging me and coming back. So at some point, I have to sit down and do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last time I saw you was National Poetry Month. And you were going to write a poem every day that month. I wanted to follow through. I was so inspired by that. Oh, April National. No. I got through, I think, 12, I got through 12 days. I think I'm, I have about a 50% yeah. when I'd start something, because a few years ago when I started the blog after the pen uh, program, I was like, I'm going to keep this blog, I'm going to post every day for a year, and I got through six months. So I think I get through about half. I think 50% is, is where I go. But it was great, and I wish I had stuck to it. You know, so I think maybe next year I'll try. I mean, at least you get a few poems out of it, right? Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.